Psalm 143. Let's start. We're going to go through uh, the first eight verses together. First eight verses. Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and your righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you, I entrust my life. So David wrote this psalm. And I love uh, what Brandon kind of shared with us about uh, King David. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast from a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 23. Uh, but Brandon kind of gave us this picture of David that one I've honestly kind of never, never really seen before. Where David really was insignificant in the eyes of those around him. He was a pretty insignificant person to his family, to his friends, and yet God chooses him to be king over all of these people, to be, to be of the highest honor in God's eyes. And so we see this, this man who is insignificant in the eyes of humans, but really significant in the eyes of God. And here's the thing about David. He was full of imperfections. He was full of brokenness. And yet he was fully in love and loved by his father. He was a human, as you just read in the Psalms, that always knew that there was more of God for him. You see it over and over and over again. No matter what place he finds himself in, there is always more of God for him. And what a gift it is that we get to kind of look at this prayer to meditate on this prayer, this conversation of David with God. And I was kind of reminded of something this week, I'm reminded of uh, a significance in the idea or the realm of revival. So I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, but revival is when just the glory of God comes in. And I was reminded of this correlation it, between prayer and between revival. And something you always see when you go back and you study the revivals within a people group, within a person, uh, within a community, within a city, uh, whatever it might look like, is there's always this correlation between prayer and revival. There is no revival without prayer. And I was thinking about our time together this morning in this next season for us as a church family, and, and I was thinking we can't expect more of God for all of us without us going to the Father in prayer, without us being people who will commit to going before the Father, asking for Him to bring about revival within our hearts, within our community, within our church family. And so this morning, we're gonna look at this cry, we're gonna look at this prayer, we're gonna look at this uh, conversation with God 
looking at just one of the ways in which you can go before the Father. One example of this, this prayer, this crying out to God for more of Him in your life, in our life together as a church family. So I want to start back in verse 1. Verse 1, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness, in your righteousness, come to my relief. And a question I was just asking myself as I read that this week was, you know, how, how, how calculated am I when I go before God? How, how planned out are my words? How, how, how worried am I about what I sound like in front of others and what I sound like in front of God? And I love this picture that we get of David. This just unshackled, unabandoned man before God. There's no, there's no tiptoeing in the presence of God for David. Because uh, I think he realizes God God can handle anything that we throw at him. He is big enough for wherever we are. He is big enough for whatever questions we have. He is big enough for however you're feeling, however we are feeling. And so he says, listen to me, God. Like, I don't often just scream that out. Like, hear my cries for mercy. I love the unshackled, unabandoned, way that David just goes before the Father. And very quickly, David acknowledges, he said, hey, this is not on me. His prayers are not effective because of his good standing. I don't know if you notice, he says, your righteousness. He says, your faithfulness. A conversation with God is not available because of our goodness. Our prayers are not effective because of our righteousness. But what? God's faithfulness, right? God's righteousness. And David, he sees this. And I was just thinking, how many times have I neglected going before the presence of God because of a feeling that I was not worthy? How many times are we gonna let the enemy kind of trick us and fool us into thinking that we aren't good enough to go before God? however it is that we are. And David is reminding us, he says, it's God's faithfulness that gives us confidence to go before him, not our faithfulness. But you may kind of find yourself on the opposite end of the spectrum, where, where pride, or maybe religiosity, where maybe self-righteousness has, has found its way in. And this, this can keep us from the love of God. This can keep us from the relationship of God as well. In this place, we kind of find ourselves in not a great need for God. You know, you're pretty good. You follow most of the rules, and you know how to act, and you know what to say. And over time, your, your need and your love for God begins to wane in this idea of self-righteousness. And here is what I have learned from David this week, looking, looking at the way that he prays to God. Now, I want us to hear this. His place of authority and strength comes from an awareness of his own lack. His place of authority and his place of strength comes with an awareness of his own lack. And I don't know about you, but that is so counterintuitive to how I operate. It's so counterintuitive as to how the world tells us to operate. 
But David, he understands it's out of this lack where his need and love for God comes from. So verse two, let's keep going. Do not bring your servant into judgment. Do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. My, my love and my gratitude for, for Jesus just swells when I hear this, when I've been reading this. Because our fear of judgment, our fear of judgment was replaced by the love of Jesus. No one is righteous before God. Like the, the most amazing person you know, the most perfect human being that you have ever met in your mind could not stand before God but Jesus, right? But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. But Jesus on the cross, what's he do? He makes a way for us. He makes a way for us to call God Father. He makes a way for us to be able to stand in the presence of God, being able to just completely cast all our anxieties, our worries, our fears before him without fear because of Jesus, because of Jesus. And I was reminded of Paul, uh, his words in a letter that he wrote, he planted this church. He planted this church and he writes him a letter uh, a little bit later after leaving him. And this is what he says. He says, know that a person is not justified or saved by the works of the law or by following all the right rules, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus, that we may be justified in faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Verses three and four, let's continue together. David, he says, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit, it grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. Gee, thanks for the morale booster there, David, like really making us, really making us feel good. But I know like none of us have been here before, right? Like I know all of us are just like cloud nine, 24, seven, 365. No, that's, that's just not, that's just not the case. It's just not the case. And I want us to just notice a couple of things here. I want us to just make note that David, he names two realities. He names two realities that I want us to notice. The reality, one, and the realness of the enemy. The reality and the realness of the enemy in his life is one. And two, he just states the condition of his heart. He states the condition of his mind that he finds himself in, the reality, the realness of where he is actually at. So one, I want to kind of speak into the reality of just the enemy. I think as we ask God, as we expect more of God, you know, in your life and in our church family here, I think we have to be ready. I think we have to be really aware of a very real work of the enemy. And I don't say this to scare us, like, because we know Jesus wins. Like, we know when you turn to the very last page of this story, like, spoiler alert, like, Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus wins every single time. Like, 
But in the midst of that, there is a very real enemy waging war against our souls, waging war against our hearts, waging war against our mind. And so David acknowledges this reality. He says the battle is not here in what we see. He says the battle is in what we don't see. It's what Paul, again, in a letter he writes says, he says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord. Paul, he knows this reality. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What's he say to do? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, hey, here's the reality. Here's the realness of the situation. Therefore, put on your full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, so when that moment of temptation comes, when that attack from the enemy comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And we're not gonna be perfect at this. We're humans. But I think that we have to be aware of this as, as we invite more of God into our lives. That's the last thing that the enemy wants. And the second reality, second reality is just the condition of his heart. Hey, here's the reality of where I'm at, God. He knows and he understands, like, there is no point in putting on a mask before you go to God in prayer. Like, God already knows you, already sees you better than you know and you see yourself. So he wants you wherever you are, whatever place that you find yourself in. So wherever you are, where whatever place of faith that you find yourself in, don't hold back. Do not hold back in the presence of God. Whether you are filled with joy, whether you are just kind of riding steady, whether you find yourself dismayed, as David put it, don't hold back in the presence of God. Don't hold back in the presence of God. David, he says, I am weak. Like, I'm at the end of my ropes, God. I'm dismayed. And God is big enough to handle it. And what he does next, what he does next is, I think it's extremely important for us to see, uh, for us to put into practice. So verse five, he says, I remember the days long ago. He says, I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works. I consider what your hands have done. I think if we want more of God, we can't quickly forget what God has already done and what God has been doing, right? And so David, he takes a moment to recall all that God has done in his life and all that God has done in the lifetimes before him. When he says he remembers the days long ago, I think he's recounting all that God has done in the lives of God's people, even before him. And for whatever reason, I don't know um, if this is 100% true, but I was just thinking about it this week. And for whatever reason, like our recent generation and generations tend to kind of want to do things 100% on our own. Like we, we, we don't want to look at the past and see maybe how God has worked, how God has moved. 
and, and we want to trudge a new path, whether it means pain, whether it means suffering, whether it means hurting, instead of reflecting maybe upon the past as a way of looking, looking to the future. And so, so David, he, he says, although my personal experience is important, there's no doubt about that. He says, I'm going to limit the view of God if I don't look at the big picture. I'm going to limit my view of what's possible with God if I don't reflect upon what God has done in years, years before me. And I think that's the same for us. I think we're going to limit what is possible with God if we solely, solely look at our past experience. And there's no doubt that our personal experience plays a role. But I think David is speaking speaking into a truth here of what it looks like to, to look at God at work in lifetimes before us. And so we're going to be spending some time here at the end, meditating and reflecting upon what God has done in your life, the way that he has moved and worked. But I will also kind of encourage us to, just to spend some time thinking about what he has done in lifetimes before you. You know, I think about the fact that I am a follower of Jesus because a friend of my dad would not stop inviting him to church. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus because of the lifetimes before me. He had a friend in the neighborhood who every Sunday before they drove to church, they'd drive by and they'd invite him. They had him over to their house. He grew up um, eating meals, playing in their homes. And at the age of 18, you know, my dad became a follower of Jesus. In Huntsville, Alabama, he, he drove down to uh, the church there, gave his life to Jesus and was baptized. And I think and I meditate on not only what God has done in my life, but the power of meditating and thinking on what God has done in the lifetimes before us. And that's just a small glimpse of God in his entire history. So what, what happens next? Verses six and seven. He says, I spread out my hands to you. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit, it fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. And this is just one of those verses that just pried open my heart all week long. David, he has just finished thinking about what God has done. He's just spent this time just meditating on all that God has done in his lifetime and in the lifetimes before him. And it's out of this place of thanksgiving and meditation that an absolute thirst and hunger for God is born. He says, my hands are open, God. Like, my hands are fully open to you. I welcome your presence. In fact, I thirst for your presence like a drought thirst for water, like a parched field longs and needs water. God, that's, that's how I need you. And it's out of this place of thanksgiving and it's out of this place of remembering what God has done that brings him to an even greater hunger and even greater thirst for more, for more of God. And I just kept imagining us as a church family this week recounting, hey, let's look at all that God has done but also longing with our hands open to see God working in new, fresh ways amongst us. 
It's just us with our hands just outstretched saying, God, we want more of you. There is more of you, God, for all of us. There is more of you, God, for all of us. We see what you've done, but we know there is more. And next is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, thanks to my wife. And this is something that I need to hear every morning when I wake up, every evening before I go to bed, even though I don't, but maybe I'll start that. Um, I need to hear it. Verse eight, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. Show me the way I should go for to you I entrust my life. And you can see just from this portion of prayer that David has learned something really significant. And I think it's significant for us as well. Um, he, understand, he understands that everything flows out of God's unfailing love. His trust in God is not blind. Like, his trust in God is not completely blind. He says, I've seen you at work. I've seen your unfailing love. I've experienced it. When I meditate on it, I, I, I realize it. And even though he may not be, actually we know he's not feeling this way in the moment. Like it's pretty obvious like where David's at in this moment. This is not really the reality of his circumstances. But God's continual and unfailing love is the place in which he can cry out in this way. I think, I tend to think I can do this on my own, you know? Um, I can kind of operate out of a place of my own understanding of you, God, you know? But it's, it's understanding that everything overflows out of God's unfailing love. Everything overflows out of God's unfailing love. I'm forgetful, I am broken, but may I continually remind myself, God, of your unfailing love. Remind me, God, remind me in the morning when I wake up that your love never fails. Remind me, God, when I go to bed at night that your love never fails, that your love, it never ends. No matter where I'm at, no matter how I feel, remind me, God, Remind me, God, that your love never fails. The same is true for you. The same is true for me. The same is true for every single person in this room this morning. There is more of God for you. There is more of God for you. His mercies are new every single morning. His love never stops. His love never fails, no matter what. God will always love you. God always loves you. If you walk away from today and the only thing you remember is that his love never fails and he will never stop loving you, amen. But we've looked at just David's unshackled 
unabandoned, uh, just hope and presence in God. Oh, we've looked at Jesus and how the only way that we can stand righteous before God is Jesus. And Jesus is available for everyone. We've kind of looked at, hey, the fact that there is a very real enemy, uh, but God is stronger. God is more powerful. And we've seen the way David, he's kind of meditates and he thanks God uh, for, for all that he's done in his life. And this in turn just creates this hunger, creates this thirst, creates this longing for more of God. And it, it begins and it ends and it starts every single time with the unfailing, unabandoned, unwavering love of God for you and me. So I'm going to invite uh, Will and Noah back up and kind of we talked about at the beginning. I wanted to give us some space just to really lean into and live into this prayer uh, this morning. Just open up space for, for me to stop talking and for allow God to do, to do more talking. Open up space for us to just say as a church family, okay, God, like there is more of you. There is more of you for all of us. Uh, we will remember, like we will meditate on what you have done. On all that you've done, we will, we will spread out our hands to you, God, just saying, hey, we thirst for you. We long for you. We want more of you in our lives. Uh, we trust you, God. Like, we trust you, God. Uh, will you remind us, will you renew us in your unfailing, unshaking love? Because there is more of you. There is more of you, God, for all of us. And so I want to take just a moment um, to practice what a lot of people call imaging prayer. And so this is something we've actually done at, at Marathon before. Um, it's this way of uh, just kind of closing our eyes and, and allowing, allowing God just to um, kind of open up, not open up our little eyes, open up our spiritual eyes um, to, to, speak, to speak to us. And so I want to invite you all just to, just to close your eyes. And this imaging prayer may be something that you um, have done before. It may be something you've not done before. Um, Maybe something that really speaks to you. It may be something uh, that doesn't. Um, but I, don't, I want to invite us all, all to participate. And we'll all have our eyes closed so it, we won't have to think about the person, person next to you. Uh, and with just your eyes closed, uh, with your eyes closed, I just want to invite you to just kind of breathe deeply. Uh, to take a few, few deep breaths. Maybe kind of quiet your heart, quiet your mind. The things that are distracting you, the things that are adding up on your to-do list. I literally just want you to imagine like setting those things aside. Setting all those things aside. And I love that God gives us the creativity and the power to, to use our minds to connect with him. And using the gift that he has given us, I, I want you to imagine yourself, imagine yourself with your eyes closed in your, in your favorite place to sit, in your favorite place to read, in your favorite place to maybe have a conversation uh, with, with a friend. Maybe it's a chair in your house. Maybe it's a favorite place to string up your hammock. 
Maybe it's uh, your favorite coffee shop that you go to that you always find yourself in um, conversation with people. Would you just imagine this place with me for a moment? Picture yourself there, sitting there. It's a quiet, quiet, still, beautiful day. So as you have that place, as you're sitting there, I just want you to imagine uh, that, that God shows up. That God shows up. And once you imagine what this looks like, the presence of God is in the room with you. God the Father is in the room with you. This is going to look so different for all of us, but how is it that you see God there with you? So as you're sitting there with God, I want you to imagine these words coming off your lips to him, saying, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works. I consider what your hands have done. God, Father, however you speak to him, I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works. I remember what your hands have done. I just want to invite you, as you're sitting in that place, keep imagining that place, as God is there, he's with you. Um, what it is that you would share with him. God, this is, these are the things I remember. These are the ways that I've seen you work in my life. And then I want you to listen. There might be some things that he wants to share with you. Hey, remember, remember that one time this. Think about your life, and I want you to think about your parents, grandparents, friends, family, and lifetimes before you. And take just a moment, you and God, just recounting all the ways that he's worked in your life. And if you're here and you think, I haven't seen him work, I want you to invite him to work in your life. I want you to invite him to move in your life. Just take just a moment, you and the Father, just meditating on all that he has done. Then I want to invite you to just imagine with your eyes still closed, saying these words, I spread out my hands to you. God, I thirst for you like a parched land. God, I hunger for you. And I want to invite, as you keep your eyes closed, just kind of lay out your hands before you. Kind of with your hands open. Spend some time just inviting God. God, there is more of you for me. Will you speak to me? Will you show me your love? And I just want you, just, as you talk to God, say, God, I thirst for you. I long for you where I don't thirst, where I don't hunger. Will you allow me to thirst? Will you allow me to be hungry for you? Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. As you imagine still sitting in that place, wherever it might be, laying, 
I want you to imagine what would God say to you about his unfailing love? What would God say to you about his unfailing love? I just want to invite you to listen. I want to invite you to just listen to God as he speaks truth to you. Now as we kind of close out our time of, uh, of prayer here, I want to invite us all to stand. You can open your eyes for that. <laughs> and we're going to sing one song together. Um, after this song, you have the space, you have the freedom uh, to go and to take communion with people you came with with a complete stranger. Grab them and say, hey, I want to take communion with you. And communion is just this symbol that we go to every week. It represents the body of Jesus. It represents the blood of Jesus. And we just come to Jesus each and every week as a church family. Uh, But I want to invite you, as you take communion, uh, to to, to share uh, share a couple of things. Uh, One, I just want to invite you to share what you you heard from God. And second, I, I want to just invite you to share where do you need more of God in your life? Where do you need more of him? I want to invite you just over communion to pray over one another. If, if you have no one to pray with or you maybe don't have anybody to share with, we've got a team of men and women in the back. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, but let's sing this song together and then let's go to communion together.